Welcome in to the Blanket Coverage Podcast. Today is episode 304. We're going to be discussing all things week two NFL in light of week three of NFL, which starts tonight. We're going to be trying to do these episodes on Monday and Wednesday uh, as opposed to Wednesday and Thursday, but uh, sometimes getting our schedules to line up can be a little bit tricky, but we're going to try to do college on Monday and NFL on Wednesday. But if you're here joining us, thank you so much for tuning in. As always, I am joined by my co-host, Jack Wallace. Jack, how are things up in Syracuse? They are starting to cool off a little bit. Uh, we're going to be seeing 60s, like about high 60s in the temperatures coming up this week, which is pretty good fall weather. Again, fall is actually not too bad up here. So uh, as for as bad as the winter is, but the fall is really not that bad. So I'm looking forward to some of that weather coming in through September and I guess early October uh, before we, uh, we, we have seen that they said uh, snow can't happen for uh, Halloween. So you can get snow as early as late October, but um, I don't know if that'll happen up here yet. I'd love but, to uh, see that. Not at least for a while. I mean, it's a rainy, gross day today, but uh, no snow, of course. A little too early well, for that. It's but, sunny and 75 in Nashville. You couldn't ask for much better weather than we have right now. That's, that's what we were having a lot yesterday. But we've earned it because it's been raining for about a week straight, uh, which is not great for my seasonal depression. No, it never is. But um, – we can now look a little bit at baseball, which speaking of some not entirely super happy things, there are a bunch of teams on here that, well, haven't really had a great fall to start off. And of some of those, we're going to mention the San Diego Padres because this team has completely and absolutely collapsed on the stretch. And honestly, the Cincinnati Reds have too, in lieu of the very incredible run by the St. Louis Cardinals, a team that is 10-0 in their last 10, and they're on an 11-game winning streak, the longest in the entire league. Again, I, I know we've talked about it a million times on here about this team's playoff odds absolutely shooting through the roof, and they're now at 95%, nearly a lock. Um, so pretty incredible work there. They're really shooting up. It looks like the other team to get there will probably be the Dodgers, considering that they already have the lock-in on the playoff, and it's looking more and more like the Giants are going to pull away with the division. They're sitting at 74%, so it looks like those are the two most likely teams to make those wild-card spots. In terms of the other division leaders, uh, Milwaukee, Chicago, the White Sox, uh, and the Rays, and the Astros, those four teams, you talked about them a lot. None of them have clinched, but they're all very, very close to clinching next episode. I'm certain that I think all of them will have clinched. Though Tampa Bay did officially clinch a playoff spot last night, so the Rays are good to go, as well as the Brewers earlier out in the NL. And then the only other team still in the mix is Atlanta. I, I know I mentioned their odds last time kind of went back down again. Uh, due to the Phillies uh, getting the good wins in a row and Atlanta not doing too great through the Giants series. But they were able to pull it back in. Two wins in a row against the Diamondbacks, and they're playing again tonight. Braves heavily favored, should win that one again. And their odds are up to 88%. Uh, Philly is down to just 12. So love to see that there. Uh, Oakland has officially moved into the basically done category as they're nearly out of the playoffs. Uh, Cincinnati and Seattle are both on very big life support. Um, Toronto's odds have kind of flip-flopped back and forth, but they're now at 61%. And then finally, the Yankees at 41% still look like it's going to be kind of tough, but 
We don't know yet. Um, in terms of magic numbers, uh, teams are starting to get those pushed to the wire too. I know the Braves is sitting at nine, and at least uh, the tragic numbers, mind you, which are usually a little more fun, are the um, the inverse of that. How long until elimination? And so far, the Indians could be eliminated uh, within actually today. They're sitting at one, uh, ten and a half games behind is usually pretty hard to come back in a week. So um, that one's going to be a little tricky for them. Uh, Oakland at seven, Seattle at eight, and then Toronto at 10. They're seeming a little safer. And then out in the NL, uh, the Rockies are sitting at one, Mets at two. So those two will likely be wrapped up within, uh, even before really the weekend really kicks off. I know today's Thursday, but still. And then San Diego at six, and both Philly and Cincy at seven. So Ray's coming down to the wire by the time last game uh, comes in by next week when we're out doing all of our podcasts for week four, college football, week three, NFL. It'll be very likely that a lot of these will have wrapped up and we're getting closer and closer to baseball playoffs beginning. So very excited about that. Uh, Looking forward to it a lot. I know since our last podcast, I'm pretty sure Detroit, uh, the Chicago Cubs and the Angels are all out. Um, Length is getting them pretty, pretty long for teams that are eliminated. It's obviously going to continue there as only five teams from each of the leagues are going to make it, which I think, again, is a good thing. I like this more limited, but um, excited to see how the playoffs shape up. Absolutely. Well, let's get into some football. Recapping our picks from last week, uh, I was 12-4 and four on the week. Uh, had a pretty decent gambling day, uh, despite getting absolutely hammered early in the day. Uh, and I mean in the gambling sense, not in the drinking sense. Um but I ended up 12 and four on the day on picks. And then you were 10 and six. And I believe at one point we were tied and then had, I had like four different picks than you in the later games and then ended up going like four and oh. It was, well, no, the, the four and oh was on two separate things because it was, it was both days with college football and NFL, both uh, days. We, I was ahead, and both days the two and zero went to you both times. So that was uh, very disappointing on my end. But um, still, I don't know if I would have picked mine very differently. I think Cowboys and Chargers was pretty much a toss up. Ended up being basically a toss up game watching it. And then, um, of course, Seattle Tennessee was, I mean, anybody's game for a lot of that. Um, even Seattle then Tennessee and back and forth overtime. I mean, we'll get to that game later. But um, lots of games that were very entertaining this weekend to watch, and we'll we'll dive right on into that. But. So to look ahead at week two here, there were a lot of interesting things to think about, sort of who are the real contenders and who are not. Because, you know, week one, obviously, it's very difficult to, to really look at that. But then this week's a little more interesting because on in this one we say I had – and there are a lot of games that I think you could pick as game of the week here. And I personally thought the best one on here, and more for the narrative, more than the actual stat line in the games – was Kansas City-Baltimore Sunday Night Football. And the biggest reason why I had this one here is because Lamar finally did it. He got past the Chiefs in the regular season, and he looked pretty good doing it. I know the two early interceptions weren't good, and I'm not going to let those slide, including one in pick six. But when he needed to make the big plays to get it done, he did. And he was able to win in a game that a lot of people over a lot of time were saying that he couldn't do or he wasn't good enough, whatever. And he proved that it's not bad for a running back. And he did what he needed to do to win. Really not. It's really not. No, I, 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 
I think Lamar is a good quarterback and obviously what he is better than good quarterback, a great quarterback and what he brings on the ground is so much greater than even Kyler Murray, who we know is a great scrambler, um, a great runner of the football, but he's not the type of runner uh, with consistency that Lamar is. He can't take those hits because he's so small and he's obviously electric scrambling around in the backfield on those passing plays. But as more of a designed runner, Lamar has such a talent and he just brings something to the game that you have to prepare for differently than every other team because he's a better runner than Jalen Hurts. He's a better runner than Kyler Murray. He's a way better runner than Deshaun Watson. And all of these guys are good runners. But you look at Lamar Jackson and the threat that he brings on the ground, even though he's not quite there in the air. And I think that's going to be his detriment when it comes to the playoffs and when you get late in the playoffs um, and you have to play from behind and you have to come back. But they played from behind for most of this game um, and we're still able uh, to come back just by sticking with the run, sticking with the run. And obviously that's what the Raiders, that's what John Harbaugh, that's what Greg Roman, the offensive coordinator, that's what they want to do. They want to run you into the ground and they want to keep running you into the ground. And their defense was able to come up with enough plays where it didn't matter. And there was a moment in this game, it's why it's game of the week, where we thought, oh, the Chiefs are just going to drive down. There, there's, It's a lock. The Chiefs are going to drive down Patrick Mahomes game winning throw. Uh, and that didn't happen. And the detriment of the Chiefs, the entire game was on the ground where they were outgained. Listen to this number 251 to 62 on the ground. Uh, that is quite the disparity um, in, in the rushing game. And that ended up being the difference in the game. But the big difference in the game was related to the ground, uh, which was Clyde Edwards Hilaire's fumble. Um, with about two minutes left to go. The Chiefs still had all their timeouts. They still had a chance. And then Lamar Jackson on fourth and one put the game away. Um, it, it was a very, I, I liken it to a baseball closer. If you have Lamar Jackson on the ground uh, to end the game, same with Derek Henry. I think it's they share the same sentiment. Um, if you have Lamar Jackson at the end of a game and you have one yard to go, it's game over. Um, he, he's just a great, great closer. And I think that is really the strength of the Ravens. If they can play from ahead this season and really get the running game going, uh, this is going to be a dangerous team once again, despite all their injuries and a little bit of problems that they have in their secondary. And I, I agree with that. I think it's been uh, interesting to see, especially the prowess that Lamar Jackson's had on the ground. I know we've talked about the air has been an issue and that's been something hurting him, but 16 carries for 107 yards and two touchdowns is still impressive. And how about Hollywood Brown getting it done? Six receptions for 113 yards and a score. So a guy that I know that, I mean, we both have talked about as not being a very super high guy in fantasy, um, but ended up being very productive in this game. So did a, did a very solid job on his end. Um, Let's talk about the Chiefs defense right quick, because the Chiefs defense two weeks in a row has been a point of concern, really. 
I mean, the last week they let Baker Mayfield really do whatever he wanted to uh, through the air, and they could not stop the combination of Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt on the ground. And then this week you give up another 200-yard game uh, to Lamar Jackson and to Tyson Williams, and Latavius Murray was getting some playing time in there. I think Devontae Freeman saw the field at one point. This Ravens run game is really, really good, but I do think it's a point of concern for the Chiefs that they are just getting run all over, and they really need to be able to hold up uh, for their offense to be able to score as many points as they can because the offense can't run the ball, really. If you can't run the ball, you got to be able to put up points, and obviously the Chiefs can, but with only a, with really a single faceted offense, uh, this defense has to step up a little bit more. Teams are just going to be able to possess the ball like the Ravens were outgaining the Chiefs in time of possession, thirty-five to twenty-four, uh, in in and that's in minutes. So it's a real point of concern that the chiefs defense is on the field as much as they are, because if Patrick Mahomes doesn't have the ball and you're just getting run all over, uh, that's not a recipe for success in the NFL. Indeed. And, um, Last other point on here was also Travis Kelsey had another fantastic game in here, but a little weird how Tyreek Hill was not big in this game. Well, they doubled him the entire game. They took him out from the start. They said, we'll give up those little seam routes to Kelsey. We'll give up those little 10 yards over the middle. You're not getting the 70-yard Tyreek Hill completion. Um, And they did a really good job of eliminating him from the game plan, and that might be – uh, that might be the game plan going forward against the Chiefs is just eliminate Tyreek Hill from the game plan, make Demarcus Robinson and Byron Pringle uh, and Miko Hardman beat you. Yeah, and that, and that may need to happen if this team is going to see a lot of success. Um, or other teams, sorry, are going to see a lot of success against them. So big point there. Uh, good point for the Chiefs, though. Chargers and at the Eagles uh, come up next. We'll be able to see them against some other uh, high-firing offenses, and uh, at least how that may work, or at least the Eagles. I mean, offenses work better than we've expected so far, but we'll see how that will look against them. Moving on, we got some other games coming up here, the whole rest of the slate, and we're going to start off with Washington and New York, uh, the new the G-men, the Giants of New York. And, uh, yeah, this is a game that was – the best way to describe this game was agonizing if you're a Giants fan because, <laughs> I mean, it's – oh, boy, this game um, really exposed – I mean, I don't know about exposed because it was kind of obvious from the get-go, but exposed a lot of problems that we've seen with this Giants team. And part of it was just like the way it ended was so painful. But, uh, yeah, Washington wins on an absolutely ridiculous ending. Uh, Hopkins' field goal is no good. But Dexter Lawrence, of all players, jumped off sides as Washington missed their kick. Then they get to go again five yards closer. And, of course, Hopkins nails it. And Washington football team walks away with a win. Heineke, under center, ended up having a pretty solid game, as well as McLaurin out on the, out on the wide end. And what did this game prove to you? This game proved to me that Washington's defense is a little bit overrated. And I've heard this point made. It is not an original thought of mine. Uh, But if we look at the last season, um, after their bye week, which was week eight, uh, and this defense really turned it on later in the year. Obviously, Chase Young was a monster. Uh, That defensive line was all over the place, uh, all in the backfield. But look at this schedule. 
New York Giants, Detroit Lions, Cincinnati Bengals, Dallas Cowboys, Pittsburgh Steelers, and that's Dallas without Dak Prescott. San Francisco 49ers, Seattle Seahawks, Carolina Panthers, and Philadelphia Eagles. That is not – those are not good quarterbacks with the exception of the Seattle Seahawks and Russell Wilson. Uh, they really didn't have to play any great quarterbacks last year. And if they're if you're not playing great quarterbacks, it's not that hard to have success if you can scheme up a defensive game plan really well like we know Ron Rivera can. Uh, and we know this defense is obviously talented, but I think they're a little bit overrated uh, based on the fact that Daniel Jones was able to pass for 249 yards and a touchdown uh, and really was able to run. That was the key thing. He was able to run wherever he wanted on the field. They were really hitting that read option hard. Nine attempts, 95 yards and a touchdown, had a 46-yard run in there. So the Washington D-line, yes, they had four sacks, but they also allowed Daniel Jones to scramble for 95 yards. Um, and I I don't know what that means for the rest of the season, but it can't be good uh, when you allow Daniel Jones uh, to really go off. And, I mean, let's face it, they were bailed out by Dexter Lawrence jumping off sides. True, but I, I do want to give credit to Daniel Jones in this game either way. I mean, I, I know that he's been a guy who's been scrutinized for a while and mostly for good reason, but he still had 249 yards in the score and, again, 95 yards on the ground and a touchdown. And he was very effective on the ground, did his job fairly well. I know he had a super long run that was called back too. I mean, I got to give him some credit here. I know that he's still um, not even remotely in the upper echelon of quarterbacks in the league or anything, but – I think against the Washington defense that still is talented, I think that he deserves a good chunk of credit here. And then uh, Sterling Shepard also with a great outing too, nine receptions for 94 yards. So got to give this Giants offense some credit, something that I didn't think I'd be saying a lot this season, but I I think they're deserving of it. Next up, we have Buffalo against Miami. And this one was uh, not too fun if you're a Miami fan. Uh, Buffalo – Wow, Buffalo absolutely annihilates the Dolphins 35-0. to zero. It's the largest shutout win the Bills have had over Miami since 1966. It's been a minute. So, yeah, Buffalo asserting their dominance, flexing their muscles. Again, Josh Allen, still not the big-time breakout game we were expecting, but still pretty good. Uh, Devin Singletary actually did a pretty good work here, 82 yards and a touchdown. But Miles Gasket did nothing, and Jacoby Brissett had to come in for an injured Tua, and he did very little. And, yeah, this Miami team still needs a lot of work left in it. It's very clear that it's not ready for any kind of big thing, at least right now. But, yeah, that this was a pretty tough one for Miami fans to swallow. And it's not going to get any easier for Miami, uh, especially if Tua is going to be out, which, it, look, I don't want to – talk trash about Tua getting injured but let's face it Tua hasn't looked that great this year I know he had a decent week in week one but he was a little bit checked down Charlie uh, they were able to get some plays to Jalen Waddle and they just had a good they had a good offensive game plan in that game and their defense ended up coming big for him uh, with a fumble but it's not going to get any easier for them. They got the Raiders, the Colts, and the Buccaneers coming up. And without Tua, this season could go down the drain fast for the Dol- Dolphins. But I do want to talk about the Bills because this was the ultimate revenge game from a team that laid an absolute egg in week one. 
Uh, this was a team that they came out, the Steelers took it to them. Uh, they really didn't do anything in the second half. It was a down week for Josh Allen and still not a great outing for Josh Allen uh, in week two, but they were able to get enough done uh, through the air and through the ground. I mean, it was only 17 for 33, 179. We might see a little bit of regression for Josh Allen, and that's why I didn't pick him as the MVP. I like him this year, uh, but it might take some time for this offense to get into uh, into a swing this year, uh, a little longer than we thought. But it took it. It was the same last year, uh, and the defense showed up. And I think the Bills could still be really good. I think they're still the favorites to win the AFC East, but here come the Patriots is all I'm going to say. Exactly. No, the Patriots look like they're going to be a little bit more back into what they're normally uh, were as a team that tends to be pretty strong in this division. Now again, Bills Patriots will be quite the interesting matchup. I'm looking forward to that, but uh, yeah, the AFC is going to be a little more entertaining than we may have thought preseason, but uh, at least between these two competitors, yeah, that wasn't the case. But uh, next up, we can move on to Chicago versus Cincinnati, an upset call that I ended up getting incorrect here, which I still don't necessarily regret picking this um, as it ended up being a pretty close game and the Bengals did look better than the Bears did last week. But it ended up not being true. And now Justin Fields did come in for an injured Andy Dalton. Didn't really do it ton though but the problem was burrow throwing three picks on three straight passing yeah that's the reason why they lost not great um i really think and i'm trying to go and find the tweet uh here in my bookmarks but i don't want to wish injury on anyone obviously uh we've said that i feel like i'm always making a disclaimer out of that but I think Andy Dalton getting hurt might have saved Matt Nagy's job, at least for at least for this season. He might still get fired in the offseason. Who knows? But I think Andy Dalton might have just saved Matt Nagy's job by getting hurt. And let me tell you why. Because Andy Dalton's average depth of target. Now, this was not a good day through the air for Justin Fields. He looked like a rookie quarterback. Um, he looked like he was having trouble uh, seeing the, what the defenses were doing. Uh, it's just something you got to get used to. Um, rookie quarterbacks are going to look like rookie quarterbacks at times. But he was able to make some plays with his legs. That's obviously an area where Andy Dalton uh, does not exactly excel. Uh, and I want you to take a look at this because we talk about aggression in the NFL. You want to have that subtle balance between being aggressive and throwing downfield and stretching the defense out um, and being checked down Charlie like Andy Dalton. Andy Dalton's average depth of throw, and this is from Andrew Erickson on Twitter, Andy Dalton's at average depth of throw was 4.6 yards. That's under five yards per attempt. That's where he's trying to get the receivers the ball. That is the ultimate check down Charlie. Um, and that would be good for last in the league. Uh, so Andy Dalton joins the uh, check down Charlie Hall of Fame this year. But Justin Fields, when he came into the game, his average depth of throw 
10 and a half yards, and that is good for first in the league. So maybe a little bit over aggressive. We know that they love the deep passing game at Ohio State when Justin Fields was there. He's a terrific deep ball thrower. Uh, the decision making has got to get better. Some of the ball placements got to get better. He's got to get better at getting the ball out. But it's going to open this offense so much more just to let Justin Fields make his mistakes and grow as an NFL quarterback in the game rather than sabotaging your team with check down Charlie back there and Andy Dalton. It's going yeah, to be that, that offense. It's the dynamic offense they want to have, which we know that Chicago hasn't had in a while. So that's why I understood the Justin Fields pick, and that's why I think that I it couldn't have worked if it just takes a minute. I don't even think Matt Nagy wants a dynamic offense. I think Matt Nagy is just an idiot. <laughs> Quite honestly, I mean, I mean, based on how far the offense has been for the Bears over the last good while, I mean, I can understand that. I mean, there's not a whole lot of success to write home about. Matt Nagy should still be fired out of a cannon into Lake Michigan. <laughs> there's the quote for social media right there. <laughs> oh, that was in my week one takeaways last week. That's a direct quote, and it's still my opinion. Uh, but. For the time being, I think Justin Fields has bought Nat, Matt Nagy another eight weeks. Yeah, I would agree with that very much. Now we can move on to a game that we thought was going to be pretty terrible and ended up being actually somewhat competitive, and that was Houston versus Cleveland. Yeah, at least for me, I thought that Cleveland was going to win this game by at least 20, and it turns out that wasn't the case with uh, Houston putting up quite the fight. Actually uh, tied it at several occasions. Uh, brought it up to fourteen twenty one Cleveland at halftime. Uh, the Browns were able to pull away, or sorry, fourteen all I think at halftime, and then uh, Cleveland was able to pull away a little bit, um, outscoring the Texans seventeen to seven in the second half to get a ten point win. But yeah, the Houston actually looked somewhat competent in this game, getting a good chunk of of points here, getting a lot of yards. I mean, three hundred two yards, seventeen first downs. And Tyrod Taylor going 10 for 11, 125 yards and a touchdown, which isn't a ton, but got that down. I think he's injured too, right? Yeah, he was injured. I knocked is. out of the game, which, uh, and the Davis Mills will be starting. But yeah, it's, it's, it was weird because Houston played a game that I was like, oh, okay, like maybe they're not that awful that I thought they were going to be. And, you know, I, I think now I can pretty solidly say that. Houston, I don't think will be the worst team in the league this year, which I really didn't think I would be saying that. No, I think that crown is going to go to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, They're very much the early favorite. And the AFC South is kind of a disaster right now. Um, We'll talk about Carson Wentz here in a minute. Uh, But look, I don't think that the Houston Texans are that good. But it's the old cliche, you know, these guys get paid to play football, too. Um, And I think a lot of teams are coming in basically, uh, especially in the early season, when we don't know anything about the Texans yet, uh, really. I think they're coming in and kind of treating it like a bye week, not taking it quite as serious, maybe looking ahead uh, to some other games. We know for Cleveland, they were coming off of the heartbreaker in Kansas City. And I think that really does factor into play here when you're playing a team that everyone said has a real shot at going 0-16. 
But nice recovery from the Browns. Uh, obviously, you'd like to see the defense play a little better in the first half. But they showed up in the second half. They came back, uh, and they were able to really put it on the Texans. But the most important thing, the Texans covered. They did. They did. That is true, which I probably wouldn't have called that. But good for I don't them. Know, maybe, maybe Texans plus eight tonight. Perhaps. If you're feeling, if you're feeling frisky. <laughs> Uh, next up, we have Indianapolis versus Los Angeles, the Rams, that is. And the Rams going on the road to face Indy, uh, 0-1, Indy 1-0, L.A., and they both will keep in those stat sheets with a 27-24 win for the Rams. Uh, Matt Stafford still looking pretty solid here, still undefeated for L.A. Uh, Daryl Henderson actually getting on the action with 53 yards and a score. And then Cooper Cup is very much solidifying himself as a wide receiver one with nine receptions, 163 yards, and two touchdowns in a dominant performance. But, yeah, this is looking like a very, very solid outing for the Rams. Now, again, it was a little bit tighter of a game than we would have hoped. Uh, Indianapolis actually had a lead in the fourth quarter. Uh, down 17-6 and then scoring twice in a row, including a two-point conversion uh, to get up 21-17. Uh, L.A. was able to close it out with a 20, um, sorry, a 38-yard field goal with 2.23 on the clock, and that ended up sealing it. But, yeah, this was a game where, again, it seemed like a team like the Colts that we kind of put down as not being very good, played against a much better on-paper team with L.A., and ended up playing all right. And that's why this week with Indianapolis at Tennessee is going to be a pretty interesting one because we love seeing these teams that are sort of on the weird. Not really, though, because you know who's starting for the Colts this week, most likely Jacob oh, Eason. Oh, 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 oh. Because oh, Carson Wentz Carson Wentz sprained not one, but both of his ankles on the you know, same I play. Should, I should have rolled that. up on by Aaron Donald. Um, now you'll, you'll enjoy this, actually. My, uh, my professor is a uh, long, long, long-time Eagles fan, and he wrote on our news quiz uh, yesterday, actually, he wrote, which um, he said that was on, like, the NFL's premier franchise, talking about the Eagles, which we all poke fun at, but um, he was saying uh, of him, which like, disgraced former quarterbacks, like, managed to break both of his ankles and won't play this week. And um, I could see the shots at Carson Wentz already. So Eagles fans were uh, not wishing injury, but not really like they, they aren't exactly upset that well, Carson Wentz is playing. What, yeah. what did you expect? They're Philadelphians. I, no, I know. And after being in, I never actually had been to Philadelphia before a few uh, about a month ago, and I actually have been. And now I, I yeah, that's yep. <laughs> Philly fans are a different breed, so it's it was pretty uh, pretty entertaining to see that. But yeah, somehow breaking both the ankles, I totally forgot about that. So never mind. That game could have been interesting, but now it probably won't be. But um, yeah, with that, Indianapolis ends up winning, uh, losing that game, um, which is unfortunate for their continually sad franchise. Uh, at least since the Manning days. Uh, next up, we have New England against New York New York Jets, and this game was a game I watched, not going to lie, not much of because this game was not extremely entertaining. I had 25 Pretty to 6. and dry. I don't know if this is actually a scoregami or not. I don't know if we're keeping track of that with these, but it looked pretty close with it. Um, scoregami, if you're not familiar, um, is when you have unique score lines in any of the um, – in any of uh, NFL scoring games the regular season. And uh, 25 to 6 is a pretty weird score. And Zach Wilson looked 
who pretty miserable. And I know that we talk about with uh, with Bill Belichick being very good against rookie quarterbacks. Of course, that was proven true time and time again. But this was pretty rough. Wilson with four interceptions, 210 yards. Uh, even Michael Carter didn't do a ton on the ground either. Um, and Mac Jones wasn't exactly exceptional. Did, didn't score a touchdown, 186 yards, but did get the job done under center. Um, James White and Damian Harris led the way with touchdowns on the ground and a whole lot of field goals for Nick Folk. But, yeah, this was not a very fun game. Not going to lie to you. Look. Mac Jones is doing exactly what Bill Belichick wants Mac Jones to do, which is just checking it down, managing the game, and letting his running backs do the work. Which Damian Harris, for as much crap as I talked about Damian Harris in the preseason, and that I will never, ever draft a Patriots running back on my fantasy team. He did have 16 attempts for 62 yards, uh, one touchdown, and then James White added another touchdown. Um, and another 45 yards through the air. So they're really playing through their running backs despite their lack of receivers and letting their defense do the work because Zach Wilson was sacked four times and threw four picks. And I will say it, I will say it until I die or until Bill Belichick retires at least. Never, ever, ever trust a rookie quarterback against Bill Belichick. He feasts. He just feasts. He plays games with their mind while they're back there. And Zach Wilson was actually asked straight up, if you remember uh, when Darnold had to play the Patriots and said in the press conference that he was seeing ghosts, uh, Zach Wilson was straight up asked in the press conference if he was uh, seeing ghosts. And he said no, but the four interceptions uh, tell me that that's complete cap. Uh, to use a word that the kids like nowadays. Pretty, uh, pretty colossal cap there, that, yeah. That's, col- that's some colossal cap because Zach Wilson was absolutely seeing ghosts. Uh, went 19 for 33, 210 yards, but could not find the end zone and threw four picks. Uh, so, look, the book is not written on any of these guys. This is week two. Uh, they're still learning how to be NFL quarterbacks, and they all look like rookie quarterbacks. But – Clearly, Mac Jones had the better defense here uh, and the better coach, and that's what won them the game. Next up, we have Philadelphia versus San Francisco, a game that um, was one that I think preseason we would have written off uh, somewhat quickly. But uh, now it's a game that I thought would be fairly competitive and ended up being so. 17-11, to San Francisco wins despite – having a good chunk of the first half in Philadelphia's favor, but a touchdown with 12 seconds left from your own Jawan Jennings, uh, go Vols, getting the right before the end of the half. And then Jimmy G with a run, Robbie Gould with a field goal, uh, Jalen Hurts' touchdown, two-point conversion failed, did not help the Eagles much in the end. But um, a pretty low-scoring game, but a pretty telling game. Jimmy, Jimmy Garoppolo actually playing very solidly here. Elijah Mitchell doing decently on the ground despite all the injuries in the running back room for the Niners. And then Jalen Hurts doing his Lamar Jackson impression of stat lines with 10 carries, 82 yards and a score, and 190 yards through the air on um, just above 50% passing. So, yeah, it, it's not really too bad of a game here for both these teams. A Philly team that I think, even though they're hosting a, a 49ers team, we know is better than Philly on paper. A game they shouldn't exactly be winning in, but a game they were very competitive in. And I think also very telling how bad the Falcons' defense is, seeing how 
they Philly could score triple. I mean, the amount of points. Well, and <laughs> on let's the road not, against the Falcons versus at home here. So, and, uh, and let's not discount this 49ers defense, which had a lot of injuries last year. They're coming back full strength this year. They lose Jason Verrett. That's not great. But other than that, they're still looking really solid. Fred Warner's still in there in the middle, uh, mucking things up for the offense. What I want to point out here is that even though Jalen Hurts' completion percentage was not what you want it to be, just over 50%, he was 12 for 23, uh, he did not turn the ball over. Uh, he did. He fumbled once, didn't lose that fumble, uh, didn't throw an interception, was only sacked twice, so you see what he can do with his legs, and then added 82 yards rushing on the ground with a touchdown. So I think Jalen Hurts can – perfectly capped in this offense uh, to winning some games, especially in the NFC East. We have yet to see uh, if Dallas is, is a legit team with Mike McCarthy coaching them. Um, their offense certainly looks legit, but we've got to see them convert some of those red zone chances. Um, you know, I'm really not that discouraged from what I've seen from the Eagles so far. And I think we forget how much talent this team had on defense uh, and that Doug Peterson was just kind of an idiot. Well, let's get excited for uh, Eagles at the Cowboys this weekend. Uh, that's going to be a game that I think could be yeah. a whole lot. So Monday Night Football, and I'm very excited for that game, which is one, again, a preseason, one that I'm excited for, but now – could be quite interesting. So looking forward to how that game will uh, handle out. Next up, we have Las Vegas up against the Pittsburgh Steelers out in Heinz Field. And this one was, again, a pretty impressive game for the Raiders, a team that just keep on climbing. This team has been a team that we kind of wrote off early on, but has looked good. And Derek Carr has looked really good. I mean, he leads the league in passing yards for the first two weeks, and by a lot. I mean, by a wide margin. Derek Carr has looked really solid, and he continues to keep it up. Henry Ruggs looked great this week. Five receptions, 113 yards, and a score, including a huge 61-yard touchdown. I mean, and we know the Pittsburgh we talked about up last week, how they play, played against the Bills and played strong and won well. And we were like, okay, like, that's legit. And then – Oakland or well, sorry, Vegas comes into Pittsburgh and says, nah, we're taking the win. And I don't know. I mean, I was saying at preseason, the AFC West, I don't think it's the chiefs anymore. Guaranteed every year, easy wins. And I think that statement's aging. Well, we've seen the chargers play well, even though they did lose. We'll get to that, but like they played well, the Broncos have played better. Raiders obviously playing a lot better. I mean, the AFC West is looking to be maybe the surprise of all the divisions to be very solid this year. And Raiders bringing it up strong. All right, Ben, I'm speaking directly to you, big Ben (laughs) time (laughs) to hang it up, man. Hang up the cleats. Nobody wants to see this train wreck anymore. It's been an absolute train wreck. Um, And I realized that, yes, he completed 67% of his passes, but he passed 40 times and only ended up with 295 yards and an interception. He's hurt once again. Uh, Stop me if you've heard that one before. Uh, It's it's time to hang it up for Big Ben. Uh, And maybe Mike Tomlin will still uh, lead them to a winning season this year. I have no idea what to expect from this Pittsburgh team week in, week out. Uh, they're well coached, obviously, uh, as I was just saying. But 
with Big Ben back there looking like an absolute shell of himself, uh, I'm not really sure what to expect. And with Najee Harris not really being able to do anything on the ground, this offensive line has not been able to get a push um, all year long so far. And it's not looking very impressive for the Steelers. Um, But let's flip it to the other side because the Raiders, who saw this coming? Not Not me. me. Not me. I wrote Derek Carr off before the season, and Derek Carr has come out and proved me wrong pretty consistently. Um, Both Henry Ruggs and Brian Edwards um, are really turning out some solid performances. Pittsburgh was obviously keying in on Darren Waller the whole game. Uh, Didn't really let him get loose for his normal, like, 10 catches for 100 yards. But it didn't really matter when you've got Henry Ruggs who can really take the top off of the defense. So without a running game uh, and with Darren Waller really getting taken out early, um, this was a really impressive performance from the Las Vegas Raiders. And I do want to look ahead um, at their schedule for the rest of the year, because this week they've got the Daltons. We don't know what Tua's status is for that game. And even if Tua plays, uh, they're still the Dolphins. Uh, that's you said Daltons. Like, <laughs> no, no, the Daltons. Yeah. They're, I think they still have a decent chance to win against the Dolphins. Uh, and then they've got the Chargers, the Bears, and the Broncos. Those are three games that they could easily win. We could see uh, the Las Vegas Raiders really make a case, uh, if not for the AFC West title, because that really runs through Kansas City. If not for the NFC or the AFC West title, uh, definitely for a wild card spot. Uh, this has been a oh, really, yeah. really average team the past few years, and if they can step it up on defense, this could be a really, really good team. The way Derek Carr is playing. If they take care of the Chargers and Broncos, I think they'll make the playoffs. But especially with the seventh team added from last year, if they can take care of those two teams and put really put them away. I think this division and who they play are, are good enough to make it further. But um, looking at a division that will, I, I don't know if it's going to have multiple playoff contenders this year. And this is the NFC South, but I will give it to them. Once again, for no reason, Carolina continues to get it done. Now, am I going to overly play, praise Carolina for being 2-0 versus the Raiders? No. And the reason why is because they barely beat the Jets and then beat down on the Saints team that is about as inconsistent as you could possibly imagine. Let's not forget that the Saints were missing about half of their coaching staff going into this game. Which is why I'm making – yeah, that's that's why I'm making that point because the Saints team was missing a lot. They didn't know what they were doing. It was all over the place. Jameis Winston looked absolutely horrible. It was was Four sacks, two interceptions. Yeah, it was his lowest passer rating of his entire career. Jameis 30 for 30 watches back. It's officially back. (laughs) Oh, God, it, it was so bad. Yeah, throwing two interceptions, so we're, we're on our way. But, yeah, this game was uh, very wonderful to watch as a Falcons fan. My, my rent-free self really enjoyed it. 26-7, to uh, Panthers made it look very easy. Uh, C-Mac did whatever he wanted. Sam Darnold threw over 300 yards. Uh, even Moore had a field day with uh, 79 yards and a touchdown, DJ Moore. And, yeah, this was pretty easy. Carolina didn't really struggle at all here, but again, I think it's more the fact that New Orleans was missing a million people than Carolina being legit. I know they're 2-0 and and that looks good, and I get they play Houston tonight, and this team will probably be 3-0. and But then at Dallas after that, 
I don't know if they're winning that game. I'm still not fully sold on Carolina just because I think their start of the season hasn't been that difficult. And again, if you look at their overall schedule, Carolina's season really isn't that hard, except the last four games at Buffalo, Tampa Bay, at New Orleans, at Tampa Bay. So that's going to be the stretch is to see how good is Carolina going to be before that stretch. And that's going to determine their playoff odds. But well, look, they are number one in the league. And granted, they played a terrible Jets offense and Zach Wilson's first start. And then they played a Saints uh, Saints team that was missing about half of their coaching staff, uh, mostly on the offense. But this is a team that's first overall in the league in defensive yards and they're first overall in the league in first downs allowed. Uh, they're first in passing yards, first in rushing yards, um, and first in average time of possession. So this is a frisky defense. This is a defense that can do some things and keep Sam Darnold in enough games. And I'm not saying Sam Darnold is a world beater, but the post-Adam Gase bump, as we were saying last week, is a real thing. Uh, and we're seeing it this, is. Carolina. It is. And uh, to talk about a team that uh, when you say a bump in terms of quarterback play, I think they're one that really is showing this off very, very well and actually relating back to Carolina. But um, And this game is going to be Broncos up against the Jags. And the reason why I'm doing that is just shouting out Teddy Bridgewater. And I get it's against the Jaguars, and that's not that difficult. But he threw for 328 yards and two scores, and he looked very, very good doing it. And Cortland Sutton looked fantastic, too, out at wide receiver with 159 yards of his own. And Trevor Lawrence, once again, struggled pretty hard. James Robinson, again, is not helping in fantasy. He's really high on him, and it's not working so far. But, yeah, Jacksonville's 0-2. They look awful. Denver's 2-0, and they look pretty decent. So, again, Denver looking strong. Um, Jacksonville actually opened up the scoring with a solid 25-yard pass out to Marvin Jones, but – then 23 in a row from Denver put the game away. Uh, and then, you know, shout out Jamal Agnew. Shout him out. 102-yard kickoff return for a touchdown. First of the season of anyone so far. And shout out to him because that was pretty cool. So good news for him to at least get a touchdown. Um, Two-point pass conversion was failed. Obviously didn't really matter that much then. But um, he at least gets a little bit of a nod from me for getting a touchdown there. But other than that, this Jacksonville team has been woeful to say the least. And I mean, I don't even know what else there is honestly to say about it because it's 17 loss in a row. Seven. Yeah, and, and we're not going to write off Trevor Lawrence just yet. It's week two, just like all these other quarterbacks. Let's be patient a little bit. But that being said, Trevor Lawrence, and I sent you this stat. This is per Sam Morris or Sam Monson from uh, Pro Football Focus. 36% of Trevor Lawrence's pass attempts have been uncatchable this year. That nobody, is the highest rate in the NFL. And that being said, uh, I'm not sure that Urban Meyer's offense is necessarily designed for NFL receivers to catch balls. Uh, I'm not sure that Urban Meyer is going to be the coach for that much longer. Uh, I know it's only his first year, but the sunny shores of Los Angeles uh, are looking very, very nice uh, compared to Jacksonville, where he is losing steadily and getting criticized day in, day out. Uh, and his team has looked, quite frankly, terrible. Um, I think I'm worried. I'm seriously worried that Urban Meyer is going to ruin Trevor Lawrence. Uh, it's a real fear. Because it's, if it, it's very possible. 
how many guys have come into the league, struggled really, really hard early on, lost a ton of games, and then ended up being a stud? Justin Herbert last year came in, and he was instantly much, much better than Terod Taylor. Uh, We're not seeing Trevor Lawrence really being a – being a lift for this team he's more of a uh, he's more of a liability at this point if i had to say so myself but again the jacksonville jaguars are an embarrassment to football uh james robinson not showing out this year i watched their offensive line play and they're missing blocks all over the place it looks really really sloppy um and i quite frankly this doesn't look like a team that's bought into their coaching staff yeah, and I think that that's going to be the downfall of this team. To, and I, I'm not saying that they're, not, that they're already collapsed already, but to end up going all the way to get the number one pick or at least close to it. Uh, but next up, another team that's apparently trying really hard to get the number one overall pick because that's how we've been playing this season. But that is Atlanta up against Tampa Bay. Now, this game was a game that you and I both agreed very quickly that Atlanta was going to lose this game. We both called that. We both got it right on our pick. But, man, was this painful. And even last week was bad against the Eagles because we didn't think the Eagles were that good, but the game was kind of put away early. This game we actually tried during a chunk of it. A good chunk of it, the Falcons tried and looked like a competent football team. And that point was the end of the third quarter. The Falcons actually looked good, which big shout-out to Corderell Patterson. Big shout-out to Corderell Patterson, who played actually really well this weekend. Ended up getting 18 points in fantasy and non-PPR. Like he, he, he played great. Nothing against Cordero Patterson. The role that we wanted him to have, he did perfectly. Got to shout him out as having a great day. Unfortunately, I cannot shout out the defense since they were absolutely horrific, which, again, is expected, but still pretty sad nevertheless. We let old man Brady do basically whatever he wanted, which he typically does against the Falcons because we don't have a defense and it's still a team sport. So, once again, the stupid narrative of, oh, Matt Ryan can't ever beat Tom Brady, which, of course, means the Falcons can't ever beat this these teams – because we aren't competent. The Falcons don't win a lot, and there's a reason why. And yeah, when the Buccaneers have 10 straight games they've won, nine straight 30-plus point performances, and again against the Falcons, it's not that difficult. Now, this is one of the few games, and I very much hate to blame Matt Ryan for things, but and I won't blame him for allowing 48 points because 90% of that was not his fault. But the two pick sixes were pretty bad. And I will knock on him for that. That was pretty rough. Now, again, is the solution to this team get a brand new quarterback right now? No, that's not the solution right now. The solution is have a competent defense that doesn't allow 48 points in week two and 32 points to the Eagles in week one. That's the problem here. Number one, if you're allowing 32 and 48 points in your first two weeks to the Eagles and the Bucs, and I get the Bucs are a solid offense here, but I bet you they're not going to put 48 on every team this season and far from it. So, it's still pretty depressing to watch. And also 20 to zero for Tampa Bay in the fourth quarter, 20 to zero after the Falcons crawled all the way back from being down by a whole bunch early on, it was 14, nothing to start. And then 21, 10 at halftime. And the Falcons were able to crawl all the way back. It was actually an 18 point game. It was 28 to 10. And the Falcons brought it back to 28, 25. And then the game ended up getting out of control, but it was one of those games where it's like, Ah, you were right there. You actually had a good shot. You were playing well for a chunk of it. And then you just sort of collapsed. And it, it just was one where you just sort of shrug and say, okay, 
Falcons outgained the Buccaneers by seven yards total in a very tight game yard-wise possession. We outtimed them by about seven or eight minutes, and first downs is only separated by two. Again, it's the turnovers that screwed it over. It's the fourth down. Um, they're sorry, fourth, fourth quarter uh, offense that just stopped. And, you know, at least Kyle Pitts finally did something, so there's that. But it, it just is another day, another year, another disappointment. And thank God that we at least have the Giants up next to a team we can finally beat. Maybe. When you look at the disparity between I, – I right now I'm looking at how many attempts to convert a third down Tampa had. And this was actually Dean Pease's, who uh, used to be the uh, Titans offensive coordinator or defensive coordinator when we went to the AFC Championship. Obviously, Arthur Smith, now uh, the head coach of the Atlanta Falcons. But this was a team that actually was pretty good at getting off the field on third down. The problem was they never really got to third down. Uh, 21 first downs for Tampa Bay uh, and only third, only 12 third down attempts. Mm-hmm. So you got to get these teams to third down. Tampa Bay doing a great job of staying ahead of the chains um, and converting on the early downs, not even setting themselves up in that category. But, I mean, it is Tampa. Look, I, I, I don't I, – I'm not high on the Falcons. I really – I, the Falcons are on my no bet list. They will forever be on my no bet list uh, while Matt Enjoy. Ryan is still the quarterback. I will not, and not just that I won't bet on the Falcons, like I won't bet on any games involving the Falcons uh, because they, it's always just uh, such a mess uh, yes, like it was last week. But look, this is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They might do this to a few different teams this year. However, not in the same way because the defense didn't show up quite as well, but this was kind of reminiscent to me of Tampa Bay, Detroit week 15 or 16 last year when Tampa Bay hung like 42 on Detroit in the first half. And I realized it wasn't all a lump sum like that in this game, but it was more of a slow, painful death for the Falcons. Uh, And to, to your point, they did crawl back in this game, and then the defense just absolutely crapped themselves all over the field. So not looking good for the Falcons. I, I'm not writing off Arthur Smith yet uh, because it is a new offensive system. Uh, but it might be time after this offseason to look at Matt Ryan uh, and say, what are we doing here? Because let's be real, if – if Justin Fields is good, that decision is going to come back and haunt Atlanta forever. That they opted to keep 36-year-old Matt Ryan and get rid of Justin Fields or and pass on Justin Fields. Now you can't, yeah, in but- retrospect that's a way different thing to talk about, but I still think it's worth bringing up. That's somewhat fair, but then we also haven't seen the whole rest of the season, and Matt Ryan still has 15 games to go this year, no matter what. And then Fields obviously had a nothing burger debut this week, and I it's it's that's a question that's like a 10 years from now question, unfortunately. Like you have to wait a long, and even then, it's not like there's not a draft every year where the Falcons can pick a quarterback that could end up being just as good. I mean, it's not like Matt Ryan was a top three overall pick when he was selected, so it's. 
you and, and he's been a long time solid court. I mean, this weekend he even passed the record for the most passing yards in the first 14 seasons, and he also owns the record for the most in 13 seasons, which he got the most out of any quarterback ever in their first 14 seasons in game two of his 14th season. So, I mean, he, he will still forever be on my like list of most underrated NFL players of all time. I will always have Matt Ryan on that list. But, but at what point do you have to say, okay, we got to start thinking about the future because this team isn't really going anywhere? No, and, and I get that that's a totally valid point. I think that both can exist fine. And that's that's what I mean, as in I'm not ready to jump that until we play like, like – even I mean, you ended up with the Giants. fourth overall pick with Matt Ryan, but you're not able. But because of his cap situation, you're not able to sign the types of free agents that you'd like to sign. It's still very possible we end up getting that high of a pick this season, anyway. So, oh, I, I agree. It's a very I'm long right season. there with you. Very, I'm, I am right this is a conversation I'm ready to pin for like week 15. It's it's. I think it's too early for a lot of it, but uh, now we can move on to Dallas against LA. This was uh, the other LA team. And uh, this was quite the interesting uh, matchup, a game that I thought was going to be pretty entertaining and ended up being pretty entertaining. I actually listened to a lot of this um, over a loudspeaker because I was waiting on to get into a, um, a sports bar restaurant to go with my friends. And uh, we we, had, we were waiting for quite a while, so we listened to a lot of this game just from the audio side. But, yeah, Dallas L.A. was quite entertaining. Uh, the Chargers came back in this game after being down 14-3 to at the end of the first quarter and uh, brought it to be 14 all going into the fourth. Uh, actually, a 14-11 to 11 stat line was a scoregami for a first half. That's never actually happened in the first half before, fun fact. Uh, mostly because uh, L.A. actually missed a field goal to end it to make it 14-14. Of course, that ended up coming in later. And then Dallas ended up uh, closing this game out in a 56-yarder drilled by Greg the Leg. So good work for Dallas to get that down. But, yeah, Pollard and Zeke together look pretty good because Tony Pollard had himself quite the week. I think it was 140 yards and a touchdown, if I'm not uh, mistaken. I'm sorry, 109 yards and a touchdown, and then uh, Zeke lopped on a good chunk of his own. Um, so, yeah, pretty impressive from the running backs here. From Dak Prescott, who only had 237 yards, no touchdowns and a pick, so not super impressive from Dak in this game. But the running job really, really was working for Dallas, which hadn't done a lot so far this season, but impressed with them at least here. The over-under in this game was 61, and it – well, because Wouldn't two high-flying offenses, uh, Dallas can't really play defense very well. And would I you like to know be. how many punts there were in this 20-17 to 17 football game? No, I a would very average, average score. I would, would hate. Like to take a guess. Ten? One. Wait, one? <laughs> one punt in this entire football what? game ended 20-17, to 17 and the over-under was 61. Now, I didn't take it because I thought it might be a trap. I just wanted to stay away from it. But you look at the Chargers' drives. Interception, field goal, touchdown, missed field goal, field goal, interception, field goal. And then for the Cowboys, it was touchdown, interception, touchdown, turnover on downs, punt, Field goal, field goal. So a lot of field goal attempts, um, a lot of turnovers in this game. But yeah, just an odd game. Uh, the analytics Olympics between both of these teams uh, and Mike McCarthy, again, not really installing any sort of faith 
that this is going to be a great, you know, Super Bowl level team. I think the offense is there, certainly, but it's the coaching decisions and it's the defense at this point. And uh, yeah, I have to agree with that. It's a team that was uh, a little bit sort of waffling on how good they're going to be. Both these teams are, are sort of an interesting kind of like not upper echelon, both sort of playoff level. So we'll see how they uh, turn it out for the season. Next up is Minnesota up against Arizona. Uh, two teams that have been on some sort of interesting levels this season. Uh, and starting out with that, we'll look at Minnesota here, losing this game 33-34 and a crazy ending. And, yeah, this game was actually ending at around, like, the exact same time that L.A. and Dallas was. And uh, one of those games saw the kick sail through and the other did not. And this one was the one where it did not. Um, didn't work out too much for Minnesota. Game-winning field goal floated up and away. And Minnesota once again loses a heartbreaker game. This team could easily be 2-0, but they are 0-2, losing to the Bengals and to the Cardinals. Still haven't hosted a game, uh, but they're actually going to have three games at home in a row, starting with Seattle this week at 425, so uh, 425 Eastern time. And, yeah, Kirk Cousins looked pretty decent in this game, though. 22 for 32, 244 yards and three scores. Dalvin Cook getting 22 carries for 131, but they still couldn't get it done. The defense wasn't able to work. Kyler Murray did kind of whatever he wanted, even throwing two picks, still had 400 yards and three scores. Uh, Rondo Moore actually had a great game up at the rookie wide receiver, uh, seven receptions, 114 yards and a touchdown. And if you actually remember back uh, when I talked about my fantasy trade that I did where I um, – did a did a trade just to get some better players, and I, I did it when I traded away Rondo Moore and Tony Pollard to get Joe Mixon and Robbie Anderson, and I thought it was like, well, this is a pretty solid trade. And Pollard and Rondo Moore this weekend got to combine like 30, 35 points in fantasy. Uh, they both went off this week, so uh, that trade did not age well for me um, this go-round. But, yeah, this was a pretty impressive game for Arizona to again come out and look strong against a, a Minnesota team that really isn't too bad. And that's back-to-back big weeks. And who they play this week? At Jacksonville. So it looks like Arizona is still in the position to keep on rolling. And look, I admit I was totally wrong about this game. I First off, I think Mike Zimmer might have a uh, heart event this year uh, just based on the roller coaster that is Kirk Cousins. Because holy crap, Kirk Cousins looked absolutely phenomenal on the day no interceptions 244 three touchdowns and dalvin cook was obviously incredible on the ground like you said but kyler murray this is a video game offense you get kyler murray and a freak athlete like rondale moore not to mention deandre hopkins who is obviously going to take um a large chunk of the defensive attention um and this was just a great great game from the Cardinals offense despite the fact that their defense which lived in the Tennessee backfield week one and I don't think that the Minnesota Vikings offensive line is that good but this defense was really not able to hurry Kirk Cousins very often uh, and he was getting the ball out pretty well Uh, and obviously Dalvin Cook being the running threat that he wasn't having the day on the ground that he did uh, helped Kirk Cousins out a lot uh, in terms of giving him time on some of those play action throws and giving him windows to throw to. But I mean, what an effort 
from the Cardinals. Um, and still, Minnesota had a chance to win this game. I'm not sure we should write off the Vikings yet. I don't know if this is a playoff team, but it is certainly a wild card team, not in a playoff sense, but in the sense of anything could happen week to week with the Minnesota Vikings, and they might just beat anybody, and then they might come out and lay a complete egg the next week. This might be the most inconsistent team in the National Football League. So add that to your no-bet list. <laughs> No, 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 no. I see the wild card teams are pretty fun to bet on. I don't I might oh. put the Cardinals on my no bet list. The Cardinals are pretty inconsistent too just in terms of you think they're going to pull away in a game uh, and then they let you get right back into it. That's true too. But uh, speaking of a game where teams would pull away and then get right back into it, up next we have the game that I know you're quite excited to talk about. And it's the fact that Tennessee is finally starting to recuperate themselves and in a game that looked pretty impressive. Tennessee up against Seattle for the first time in over two years. We finally had the Seattle faithful back going on strong and going crazy. But King Henry and the Tennessee Titans were able to find a way to silence it. And this is a pretty colossal game, not just for that, but also just just it was the Derrick Henry show. And it was the thing that we've been waiting forever for. I know I've been waiting forever for as a fantasy guy, but it was nine to 24 Seattle at halftime. It looked like this game was nearly wrapped up, but Tennessee outscored Seattle 23 to six in the remaining second half and in overtime and looked pretty strong doing it. Derrick Henry with 35 carries, 182 yards and three scores. My goodness. And even Julio Jones got in the action with 128 yards and six receptions. Uh, so this was a fun game if you like good football and a lot of good offense. So that, I, this was a very, very entertaining game to watch. This game was electric, and this team is going to put me in therapy. Um, <laughs> the, yep. titan, the Titans give me more anxiety than anything else on planet Earth. Because we looked exactly as flat as we looked the last couple weeks in, or, or as we did last week in the first half of this game. Uh, the secondary is still not making great calls. Uh, we gave up a massive uh, wide open touchdown uh, to Freddie Swaim, uh, I believe, in the second quarter. We kept giving up Tyler Lockett deep balls, but look at who arguably the second most important guy in this Seattle offense is it's DK Metcalf and who was on him the entire game, Christian Fulton, our second round pick last year. And Christian Fulton had a heck of a game uh, because DK Metcalf was only, uh, only able to get 53 yards on six receptions uh, despite being targeted 11 times. And look, the rest of the defense has to come along. We need Caleb Farley to take the field and start playing like the first-round pick uh, that he was. However, Christian Fulton is a very bright spot in this defense. And I told you last week, I told you last week, the Titans' defense was getting pressure at a lot higher rate um, and with a lot more consistency than they were uh, in 2020. And we just can't sack Kyler Murray because no one can sack Kyler Murray. You just can't get your arms around him. He's, he's just too quick, uh, and he's too good of a scrambling quarterback. This week, Russell Wilson was actually sacked three times, and if I go down to the uh, QB 
pressures. Yes, so we got Danico Autry had four pressures, one and a half sacks. Harold Landry had three pressures, including two, uh, three uh, QB hurries. And then we have, let's see here, Chris Jackson with a pressure, uh, Kevin Byard with a pressure, Bud Dupree with a pressure, Jeff Simmons, Big Jeff getting in with a half sack there. So the defensive line for Tennessee, I think, is the biggest difference in this year and last year because there was a sack on Russell Wilson in a huge moment of this game that really shifted the momentum to Tennessee's side. And for anyone who is questioning whether this offense would take a serious drop-off with Arthur Smith's departure, uh, I think you got your answer because Todd Downing, for as much as I've criticized him, called an excellent second half because when you're down 24 to nine, especially when you have AJ Brown, who's dropping balls uncharacteristically all over the place and Julio Jones, when you're doing that, uh, when you have those guys on the team, you think, Oh, we're down. We got to start throwing the football. We got to start tossing the rock around a little bit. No, not at all. Give the ball to Derek Henry because that's when he feasts in the second half. I expect this offense to get better as the year goes along. Uh, Julio Jones finally looked like he was coming into form and he should have had a touchdown uh, in one of the worst calls I have ever seen on replay review. It was very, very bad. He was literally all the way in the end zone. There is no question his heel was not, which his toe dragged first, so it shouldn't have even been called that way uh, because he got both toes inbounds and then his heel came down right close to the line. If you hyper zoom in on it, his heel was very much inbounds and that was a terrible call. There was also a terrible taunting call early in the game, which these NFL referees are getting so soft that now they're calling taunting penalties. It's so uh, no fan wants that. Not a single no fan, fan wants that. If it's you so play bad. in the NFL and you make a play like that, you have earned the right to taunt a receiver. And if you can't don't handle it, play. if you can't handle <laughs> it, make the play next time. It's it's I I never understood that because I also like get like oh you could say oh well the NFL does X or Y because the game profits how does this make them money it only makes fans annoyed and players why, why would a player no, sign it's, I mean, it's, it's so a bunch confusing. of it's a bunch of rich old white dudes uh, that own the teams they are known as the competition committee and they hate fun uh, because they are rich white dudes uh, who own teams. Um, and that's just the nature of uh, how their kind works. Uh, yeah, very much not a fan of the competition committee. Uh, we need to get some young blood in there. We need Mark Cuban on the competition committee. You think Mark Cuban would outlaw taunting? No, not, no, absolutely not, because he's not a million years old and he's not a crotchety old white dude billionaire. <laughs> Yeah, it's not exactly the most fun. Uh, No Fun League continues its namesake. But we got to move on now, and we'll get on to Detroit and Green Bay. This one should not take us very long, given that this game was pretty cut and dry. Uh, Detroit looked like the worst team. Green Bay looked like regular old Green Bay. Aaron Rodgers looked like he was like – 
That's true. That's true. Second half, second half, Green Bay was very dominant. First half was still a little slow, but finally Aaron Rodgers got out of his shell, put up a great, great stat line, 22 for 27, 255 yards and four scores. I get it's against Detroit. I get it's not that hard. Detroit is very much on their way to getting another top five pick. Um, I wasn't ever expecting him to. Aaron Jones looked fantastic in this game, another great performance from him. But, yeah, I mean, Detroit next up is uh, Baltimore this weekend. I mean, just uh, <laughs> bless their hearts. But uh, it's going to be a rough season. But uh, at least Green Bay is finally back to their winning ways. Look like they're a whole lot better. But, yeah, Aaron Rodgers and Monday Night Football, I'm usually going to trust them, especially against the Lions. I, this was a pretty easy game to predict. And I'd, I would love to uh, – I would love to – read you a stat here um so there is a point of liability for this green bay defense which i was really high on this green bay defense Uh, and jair alexander has not played that great this year uh but he but he's played all right there is a point of liability on this green bay defense and that would be a man by the name of kevin king kevin king might be one of the worst starting cornerbacks in the NFL because he does nothing but give up huge plays. His yards per completion against him, he was targeted four times. I mean, he was targeted five times in coverage, uh, allowed four completions, and the passer rating against him, 118.7. Average yards per completion against him. 20.3. 20.3. He gave up 81 yards of offense, just him alone. And point on this, though, just to make a point on this, not trying to make him sound like it was not his fault, but he was actually switched into the slot spot for this game. He played 22 snaps at the slot during the Lions game uh, this week. That's three more than the entire 2020 season where he played. So it was a little bit of a shift up for him. Again, it was still bad. I'm not trying to say he went bad, but it was um it's the Detroit Lions. No, I, I again I'm not I giving him I'm not saying that it was excused. Jared Goff is a that is at least something to note. That's all I'm saying. No, it, it, that is something to note, but this has been still bad. <laughs> this has been consistent for Kevin King. This is not a new thing. This is not a new, oh, we moved him into the slot, now he's bad. No, he's been bad for like two years. He was the he was the biggest liability on this defense in the playoffs, and I'm going to continue to watch him as the biggest liability on this defense the rest of the season. And next up, we're going to move on to our AFC and NFC players and teams of the week. Always a lot of fun to go into this category. And for me, my NFC player and team of the week is Tony Pollard. Got to shout him out as the Cowboys back up and ended up being fantastic in this game. Looking like they may be going a little more with both of them considering how great he played. And then team of the week, I'm going to stick with the Carolina Panthers given their huge win over New Orleans and how they just looked that good. So impressed with those guys. So who do you have for the NFC? Uh, for the NFC, I got Aaron Jones. And funny enough, a uh, quick story here. One of my best friends uh, in my league was down 60 points. Or I'm sorry. Yeah, well – Well, they're both my friends. So one of my friends was down 60 points uh, going into Monday Night Football and had Aaron Jones and Devontae Adams and ended up coming back to win. Uh, That's how good of a week. That's how good Aaron Jones was uh, this week. Aaron Jones was an absolute monster. Uh, Four touchdowns on the day. 
um, I believe one rushing and then three receiving touchdowns, which is really, mm-hmm. really impressive. Uh, so Aaron Jones, my player of the week. And then my team of the week was the Arizona Cardinals for pulling out a really tight game against a really great effort from Minnesota. Uh, for my AFC player and team of the week, I got Derek Carr on here as quarterback. Wouldn't have thought I'd be saying this already, but I, I got to give him credit. 817 yards in the season. He had over 300 this week. He's been playing absolutely fantastically, and he looks to continue that through the season. And my team is going to be Baltimore here for being able to finally, finally, as Lamar Jackson said, get the monkey off the back with finally, finally beating the Kansas City Chiefs. And, I mean, it's a big accomplishment. We know that beating this current Chiefs team is really difficult, and anyone who does it deserves a lot of credit. And credit to you, Ravens, for pulling it off. So that's what I got there. Yeah, well, I refuse to pick the Baltimore Ravens as my team of the week, despite that they're probably the team of the week. Uh, My AFC player of the week, very obvious, King Henry. Uh, yeah. just a monster game, put the team on his back once again. And then my uh, team of the week will be the Buffalo Bills for going out and absolutely destroying a division opponent uh, after looking pretty gross in week one. Uh, Buffalo Bills could be getting back on track, so they are my team of the week. And now let's wrap this up. Let's quickly pick Thursday Night Football Tonight is the Carolina Panthers versus the Houston Texans in a heavyweight uh, match, and I say that completely sarcastically. Um, Jack, who you got here? I got the Panthers pretty cleanly. They're on the road, but they're still favored by eight, and when you know anything in the NFL, if you're favored by more than a touchdown on the road, that's pretty bad and pretty unusual too. You don't really see that very often, but – Yeah, Davis Mills uh, is a guy that actually I uh, commentated on back in high school. He was a part of Greater Atlanta Christian, a high school that knocked out my high school in the first round of the playoffs my junior year. So I actually called the game with him playing and beating us. So kind of crazy that he's already now in the NFL and making his first start. So, uh, no, I don't have a lot of confidence in the Texans in this game, despite two not awful performances by them. I get the Jaguars are awful, and that was easy to beat, but – they really didn't look that bad last year. So I don't know. I mean, I think it's very possible that Houston can put up some points and be decent here because I think what we're forgetting is that the Jets are really bad and they barely lost to the Panthers. So that's the one thing I'm thinking is that I think this game will actually tell us a good amount about the Jets because if the Texans can come out and play pretty well and Carolina ends up somehow losing this or not covering, I think that may speak on the Jets and also speak on the Panthers a little bit. Because I'm obviously not convinced the Jets are any good. And if it ends up being like a really close game, maybe the Panthers really aren't all that. Well, we talked about it earlier in the show. The Panthers right now statistically have the best defense in the league. uh, And that has not been against phenomenal competition. But this week they get to play Davis Mills and the Houston Texans. And I will be taking Carolina, and I will also be taking Carolina minus four and a half in the first half. Uh, So for anyone listening to this, if you get to listen before the game, uh, please go. uh, I'm not going to encourage you to put a lot of money on this, but if you're feeling up to it, uh, if you're feeling like uh, making a little friendly wager, I very much encourage you to take Carolina minus four and a half in the first half because this game is going to be an absolute blowout. 
I would be uh, pretty, pretty uh, happy to take that too. And also, even though I just talked about Davis Mills, I actually completely like <laughs> blanked on the fact that, oh yeah, he's the rookie quarterback starting this never touched anything before. So yeah. Oops. Yeah. Against the team, which currently just, leads the league in defensive yards against. Uh, yeah. It's, this would take in a miracle Heineke level effort, uh, which I just, that was a game nobody saw coming and it happened. And so Maybe they'll shock us, but I'm not going to. Can bet. I just one quick note? Can I can I make a uh, can I make a confession? Yes, I may or may not have yelled "Have a Heineke" uh, when Taylor Heineke scored. That's a fair moment, though. Crack, gonna, crack open a Heineke. Name that you got to make a pun off of it. <laughs> crack open a Heineke, uh, and we hope you are uh, cracking open some cold ones tonight during thursday night football uh but that will do it for today's episode of the blanket coverage podcast thank you so much for listening and for tuning in we will see you next week to discuss college football um and the nfl and we can't wait to get more uh further into the season uh so that we can uh you know have a little better idea of what's going on right now we're just kind of taking shots in the dark based on what we're seeing on the field but as we get more evidence uh we hope to uh make some better predictions um and have some better hot takes uh and maybe some freezing cold takes along the way because those are always really fun to make fun of but once again thank you so much for listening i'm noah parker and i'm jack wallace peace Peace out out, y'all